This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Revelation chapter 21, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we're so, we're so in awe of your goodness towards us. We're so in awe of your goodness towards us. You are so good. To say that you're good, good is an understatement. You're good, 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 good Father. You're so great. You're amazing. And, and we're so humbled that you would bow down to engage with us on any level. We thank you for these next two chapters of a bright future, a bright hope and expectation. And we pray that our hearts would fully receive your word tonight and that it would change our attitude about the days we live in today and that it would give us courage, and inspiration to go share the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ, with others so that they could partake with us together of the new Jerusalem and heavens and earth. We love you and we pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 21 and 22. This is the third section of Revelation. The first section of Revelation was to, as you know, we, we covered the churches, chapters 1 through 3. The middle section, chapter 4 through 20, you also are aware of. It's a little bit bleak, you know, apocalypse and all. Uh, now all of that has passed and we enter into the third and final part of the book, which is the new heavens and the new earth, which I think is, is pretty... Um, pretty cool that it's not coincidental that we just covered 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning and, and the title of the message this morning was Resting Hope. And the idea behind it was there's a settling down, there's a, there's a thankfulness in receiving the goodness of God and His promises toward us, but but there's a there's a hope in Him that rests in His promises towards us, and we've looked at in in these morning studies through First Peter, we've looked at the the way that you translate another way you translate hope is expectation. There's an expectation in God that He's going to do something good. Now, when we say those two words in the English language. Um, I don't know if you've studied different languages before, but what kind of word or what kind of uh, sense, what kind of sense of the word do you get when you hear the word hope? Anybody? What do you think when you hear the word hope? What does it convey to you? Maybe or maybe not. Thank you. Maybe I'm hoping it'll happen, but I'm not positive. But that's where I'm 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 putting my chips, so to speak. But when you hear the word expectation, what do you think? It's something that's going to happen. And we, as believers in Jesus Christ, we don't take the English word hope when the Bible can translate the same word into expectation. We take what the morning series is about, glorious expectation, and we put our expectation that that's what's going to happen. God said it. That's what's going to happen, period. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's not, a, there's not a maybe or maybe not. It's a yes and amen. And here we see the fulfillment of God's promises, not just through the book of Revelation, but we see it through, from his whole plan from the beginning. The restoration of all things. And I think if there's anything that gets us excited about studying the Bible, it's what the prophets of Old, Old Testament and New Testament have been anticipating from the beginning, the restoration of all things. Can't, can't really describe it, what it's going to be like. People say, what is it going to be like when you get to heaven? Everybody's going to be floating around on clouds and playing harps and singing, Kumbaya, my Lord. It's going to be a legit kingdom, legit kingdom. And there's going to be stuff to do. And some people are going to be allowed in the presence of God and some people are not going to be allowed. Well, we'll get to it. That's an interesting thing to take note of. 
But here we have in Revelation chapter 21, starting out in verse 1, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This idea of a new heaven and a new earth are throughout the Bible. This isn't new. This isn't something that we see finally uh, as, as a concluding thought in the last book of the Bible. This is something that's throughout the Scriptures. I pulled a few, a couple out of the Old Testament and one out of the New. Isaiah chapter 65, Isaiah chapter 65, 17 through 19. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create a new Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. Now we already read the part where the heavens and the earth roll up like a scroll, right? And there's no place found where anybody can hide themselves from the presence of God. And now this word in the Hebrew, this, he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. The Hebrew word is, you would know from Genesis chapter 1, what is it, any Bible scholars? Bara, which means to create from nothing. To, to create something. And God says, I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And the purposes that I had for my people will be fulfilled. Psalm, Psalm 102 verses 25 through 27. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, all of them will grow old like a garment. Like a cloak you will change them. And they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years have no end. Do you know that there's Christian apologists who are asking the question, if the universe is expanding, right, because we know that, it's like the universe was set into motion and now it's expanding, what's going to eventually happen? It's going to expand to the point where things start to, yeah, the reverse, reverse action happens. It's it's, it's not going to last forever. It's temporary. It was created to be temporary. And you know God's heart from the very beginning, even though he knew you and I were going to rebel against him, God's heart from the very beginning was reconciliation to us. You know, if somebody wrongs me once, I was taught a saying when I was a little kid by my, by my unbelieving uh, father and uncle. Foo me once, shame on you. Foo me twice, shame on me. And I was taught that if somebody crosses you or does something to you uh, 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 more than once or a few times, then you know what? Have nothing to do with them anymore. And I feel like God should have got rid of us a long time ago. And I feel like God should have got rid of me a, a, a few times last week. A few times. And I'm just like, man, why? How are you so good? And we don't really see the big picture of it until we look at verses like these and chapters like these. And there's so much love and hope. And there's a desire by God on his part for you and for me to have an expectation in him. Do you know most people don't want you to have any expectation in them? It's like, I'll do what I can for you, but don't have too much of an expectation for me. God is saying to you, have as much as possible. Only and only me, you can have your greatest expectations in. And what we tend to do is only give him a little bit. Well, if God's willing to do this. Well, if God's willing to do that, he can definitely do much more. I saw a miracle happen this last week. I can't tell you the whole thing, but there's a scenario happened where it was an emergency. I got a phone call out of the blue that this thing was happening. And my response to this person was, hey, we'll do the best that we can. I'll help you through it. Let's do it. And we prayed, God, work in this. Do at least this, please, God. I got a phone call a couple hours later. It's all fixed. Everything's fine. And I was like, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. And the person on the other end of the line kept saying to me, because we prayed, because we prayed, we prayed God hear or heard our prayer. And I was like, yeah. why would we have any kind of a less expectation that God is in heaven hearing our prayers and desiring to pour out blessings on his children? We shouldn't have any of a less expectation. So if that's true for today in our life, tonight and this week, then it for surely is in the fulfillment of creating a new heaven and a new earth and, and getting rid of the corruption that we see is part of this present day earth. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. 
looking for and hastening the coming day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth, which righteousness dwells. Do you know what I really like about chapters 21 and 22 and the fact that we're looking at the new heavens and the new earth? There's no theological arguments like there are with other issues in the New Testament or other issues in Revelation. Everybody wants to argue about, I'm all millennial, I'm millennial later, I'm I'm pre-trib, post-trib, I'm this, I'm that. Who cares? There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and there's nothing that you can argue with about that. So, hey, well, let's go. Let's go look at some verses that prove a post-trib. Let's turn to 21 and look at the new heavens and new earth that are the fulfillment of all of God's promises at, at, in totality. Yes, thank you very much. Verse 2, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. New Jerusalem, the holy city. Um, what did old Bible pop quiz? Whoever gets this, Bethany, I will. I mean, I'll give you extra communion after the service. <laughs> you get extra body and blood for a double blessing this week. What happened to the old Jerusalem? We were, as we're studying through Revelation, the old Jerusalem was identified by a name and judged by that name. Does anybody know what it was? The great city? Babylon. And if you go to Jerusalem, I hope that you are able to go to Israel. We talked about this when we went through the Babylonian or the, the great Babylon um, stuff. If you are able to ever go to Israel, but specifically Jerusalem, there's a part of me that was really excited. I didn't feel like any closer to God or anything like that. But what I did notice is that it's kind of crazy that the city of God has soldiers everywhere and three real, three distinct groups protecting their possession or part of it. And it's the three largest religions in the world. You have the Muslims that have a sector, you have the Christians that have a sector, and you have the Jews that have a sector. And whatever branches you want to break those down into, at the end of the day, like we talked about before, I don't want to get too much into it, but like we talked about before, when you break it all down, they are all man-made religious systems. And what is Babylon? Babylon, the Tower of Babel, is the representation of mankind rebelling against God and setting up their own system to get to heaven. So the old Jerusalem is gone. It was nice. I saw it. But my heart and hope and expectation is in the new Jerusalem that is going to be so beautiful. It's, going, it's likened to a bride. I mean, when you talk about anything beautiful, you kind of get the picture, but when, when the Bible illustrates something being as beautiful as a bride, you get the picture, don't you? A bride, a heavenly bride, adorned for her husband, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. I do not know if I have a more favorite verse in Revelation than that verse. This is the culmination of God's intention toward mankind. And while it was great in the Garden of Eden, and while it was great after that, after with the, the tabernacle of testimony and the presence of God on the mercy seat, and even in the building of the temple in Jerusalem, and God dwelling with his people, and even in the millennial kingdom, this is the sure fulfillment of God's full intention to restore not just right relationship, but, but to dwell with each other in that intimacy and, and in, in that personalness that he's always intended for you. 
that he's always intended for us. His heart has always been for this to happen. A loud voice saying from heaven, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. You know what the tabernacle is? Where God dwells. And he will dwell with them and and they shall be his people. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, I'll take out of you your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I will dwell with you and you will dwell with me and, I, and, and you will be my people and I will be your God. God himself will be with them and be their God and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Interesting, whether you're all millennial, which none of us are, whatever, maybe, maybe not, I don't care, whatever, okay? Maybe, if, if anybody is, okay, um, Notice that in the eternal order of things now, at this point going forward, it says all of the old things are passed away, but we also saw in the millennial kingdom that there was people living together, there was no sin, people were living long lives, the people that were born during, during the beginning were still alive at the end of the thousand years. We talked about why and how that was going to be possible, but why is it that there were tears in the millennial kingdom at some point? There was a a time when there was tears and there's not going to be any at all any from that point forward. Do you remember why? Because life was good for a thousand years, right? Life was good for a thousand years. But then what happened at the end? Satan was released and he was given the ability to deceive the nations. And not only were the nations deceived, but many rebelled against God. After living, there's no blaming your environment. We are wicked to our core. After living with God for a thousand years, you let that dirty little snake out of the bag for two minutes and he's slithering around, probably more literally than we, under, than we realize, deceiving till he has a rebellion. How many tears do you think were cried that day? So we see how distinctly separate it is that the millennial reign will come to an end and then we will go into this eternal order. And the only thing that's different is that there's going to be a doing away of the temporal millennial kingdom and there's going to be an ushering in of the eternal order, the new heavens, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. That's also a really good verse. (laughs) That, nothing better that, that you want to hear coming from the throne of Almighty God. Behold, I make all things new. You guys, you guys like new stuff? You guys like new stuff? New stuff's cool. It's got that good new smell. New car, new book, new socks. I smell my new socks because I don't want to smell my dirty socks. So what do socks smell like before they're soiled? It makes sense to me. I don't know why you guys are looking at me like that. But I like new stuff, right? And God says, uh, not only is it new for the sake of being new, it's got that new heaven smell, you know? (laughs) It's got that new Jerusalem smell, never going to go away. Not for the sake of having new stuff, but for the sake of things being the way intended that that, that they were supposed to be by God. I kind of mixed that up, but back to the way that things were supposed to be, but even brand new. And he said to me, and he said to me, behold, I make all all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. (laughs) So much power in these words. Hey, write this down. Because this isn't somebody just, you know, throwing out some, some words These words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. Is it tell telestai? Is it finished? It's finished. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. 
He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I've shared with you guys before, and now we finally got there, one of our favorite songs in Bible college, if uh, if. If you've ever heard it before, I don't know, but I don't mind singing it for you, is Revelation 21.8. Has anybody ever heard that song before? Revelation, Revelation 21.8, 21.8. Liars go to hell, liars go to hell, burn, burn, burn. So if you catch, if you, hey, if, if I caught my brother and the Lord lying to me, I'd sing Revelation 21.8 to him. Just as a little reminder, hey. And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Okay, on a lighter note, we know who these people are. These are those who have rebelled so completely against God that their position is irreversible, not on God's side of things. Because God in his sovereignty put a plan into place. We in our responsibility can either take part of that to our benefit or to our detriment. Another thing that we see here in the the new um, the new heavens and the new earth is that there's no sea. We saw that in verse one. If you took note of it as we were going through, there's no sea, and this is why. If you were wondering why there's no sea in heaven, sea in the Bible and even in Hebrew custom um, was uh, uh, something that was divisive. It caused division. If you think about it for a little bit longer than two minutes and you try to make sense of that, think of the world and how it's divided up. By what? By water. And those different countries are their own peoples and a lot of times they become their own entities and they fight against other people based on how they're divided. But imagine if we all had to live together. (laughs) Anyway, there's no division. That's the number one reason. Number two, there's no sea is because you're not going to catch Jesus hanging out at Newport Beach getting a suntan. Jesus is a mountain man. He's going to be in the mountains. He's going to be cutting down logs and, and cutting his own firewood, doing lumber stuff. Because Jesus is a man. He's not a pretty boy doing push-ups on the bay, beach, huh? Hey, he was a fisherman, but, but we got to get there. I've got it for you. There's going to be water. It's just not a sea. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me. Oh, you again. How are you doing? Ugh. Angel with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Where was, Bible pop quiz, we just read it, where was, where did the Spirit carry him off to to show him the great city of God? Where did, it, where, did it take, where did it take him to? A high mountain. Did it take him to a beach? It clearly did not take him to a beach. It says in the word, a high mountain. Point number two, we'll get to Bethany's question in a minute. <laughs> Having the glory of God on the mountain, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels on the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, the children of Israel, three gates to the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. On an interesting note, we see in in the completion of God's whole plan, he is upholding his promises to everybody that he said he would. And this is what the 12 tribes represent. This is also what the 12 foundations represent. And it's, it's kind of interesting to me that the foundations aren't the ancient fathers, and the church isn't the, or the apostles aren't the 12 gates. But... There's a reason for it. I just don't know why. 
I never understood this 12 foundations to the degree, uh, let's just say, in light of new information until I went to Jerusalem last year. And one of the things, I know it sounds silly, but one of the things that fascinated me the most about Israel is when we go and we would visit these tells. How many of you guys are familiar with tells? I, I shared a little bit about them when we went to Israel. A tell is a city that has become a hill based on layers of previous people that were there before them. And there was this one tell in uh, the Valley of Megiddo up on the foothills before you get down in the Valley of Megiddo. And it was the Megiddo tell and it had 27? Was it 27? 27. It had 27 previous people that lived there. And what would happen is somebody would come and they'd build and then somebody would come and crush them and build and somebody would come and crush them and build and somebody would come and crush them and they just keep building. And it became like a mountain. And, and our tour guide's like, you see how tall it is? This is where it started down here and this is how tall it is after all of those back and forth defeats. But I say it kind of gave me a different perspective because these 12 foundations, they were on top of each other. And if you break up the history of the 12 apostles, you see their influence uh, throughout the whole world. They went to different areas. Their influence was in to di towards different people. And it was almost like a building of God's kingdom from the foundation up for the rest of eternity. So the 12 apostles were represented, the tribes of Israel were represented, and he who talked with me, another interesting thing with the apostles, if they went to all different areas, right, they were going to God, bringing the gospel to them, all the tribes, nations, and tongues of the earth. So you've got the tribes of Israel, but then you also, in a sense, have the tribes of all the earth represented through the, the apostle, apostolic calling and the building of the kingdom of God through how uh, God was going to use the apostles and the church up to this present day. Verse 16. Oh, we can't skip 15 again. And, we, and he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city. He who talked with me had a reed to measure the, the city, gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed. 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man that is of an angel. The construction of its wall was of pure jasper and the city was pure gold like pure glass. The size of the New Jerusalem is enormous. Not only is it uh, 12,000 furlongs, which equals 1,500 miles, which is the same distance from Maine to Florida, the square footage would be approximate, the square footage would be the approximate size of the moon. The entire throughout the entire area was all inhabitable. We're talking not three dimensions any longer. We're talking, some people believe, up to seven to nine dimensions. How can you wrap your head around that? I don't know. But it's either a cube that people can inhabit completely and throughout the whole thing, not just three-dimensionally or on the surface, but the entire thing is inhabitable. And, or, if it's not a cube, Based on our measurements, it could be a triangle, which I think is pretty cool. Whatever the case may be, it's going to be big. And it's going to house every tribe, nation, tongue for all of history. It's, there's going to be plenty of room. He is going to prepare a place for you and for me. He's going to prepare a mansion The foundations of the wall of the city are like adorn, are, were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chardonnay. Chardonnay? 
Yeah, not Chardonnay. Well, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? The, <laughs> that was, that was uh, off the cuff. The fourth emerald, the fifth Chardonnay, the uh, sixth Sardius, and seventh Crystallite, the eighth Beryl, the ninth Topaz, Topaz. <laughs> the, ten, the tenth Syrophrase. I didn't practice these. The eleventh Jason. The twelfth Amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. That is going to be pretty. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the, and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need for the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. His gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but they shall by no means enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. Revelation 21.8. But only those who were written in the Lamb's book of life. There's a ton to work through right here, guys. But it, imagine the beauty of the city that God has prepared for his people, number one. Also, there's no temple needed. Sometimes I feel like, you remember when I had Pastor Ben Spector come from Croatia? He was from Zagreb. He's part of the, he's the pastor planning the church that we support as a church. And he had a really funny thing to say about Las Vegas that I never really thought about in, in, the, in the way that he said it. He said, we picked him up from the airport and then we ran from the airport into the house and then we ran from the house to the car and then we ran from the car to the grocery store and we ran because it was in the middle of the summer. And he's like, you guys are all like, like cockroaches, you know, like running away from the sun so, uh, so, it, so you, you don't uh, get sunburned or something. It's not going to be that kind of bright, I don't think, in heaven. I'm pretty sure it's going to be pretty cool because God is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but have you ever thought about, did you ever think about... Um, like not like live in Alaska, but have you ever thought about being somewhere where it's it's light all the time? How cool would that be for it to always be light? Do you know what that means? Do you know what heaven is going to be like? Heaven is going to be taking naps every day. <laughs> all you get to do is take nap, and it doesn't even matter how long it is. You know why? Because there's no tomorrow. <laughs> There's no sun going down. There's no sun coming. It's just like, I feel like taking a nap. <laughs> All right, I'll take a nap. It's been a few hours. You know that feeling when you lay down for 15 minutes and wake up two hours later? Not going to have that feeling in heaven. It's going to be like, you know, I'm going to take another nap. The glory of God is going to be what illuminates it. The lamb. What's that? No night shift. No Dude, heaven just took on a whole new dimension. Ten dimensions. <laughs> the city had no need of... Oh, the lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth... I like this verse. Think of These are deep verses. Think about this. The nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. What does that mean? Well, that's kind of a dumb question. What do you mean? Where's the earth at, guys? Where's the earth? Where's the earth? Gone, right? So where are these kings and people getting this treasure that they take to the city of God? You know what I think? I think Jesus says, store up your treasure in heaven where rust and moth cannot destroy. And when you get to heaven, you're going to have this earthly treasure in heaven and you're going to be taking it to the holy city and throwing it down at his feet. That's just my hypothesis. But it makes sense and it's very probable. Can it also be talking about the treasure of this new world? Maybe. But the treasure in heaven is more applicable for us today. So... That's what we're going to go with tonight. Its gates, 
shall not be shut at all by day, which is every day, all day long. There shall be no night, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything, enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Man, that is so, that is going to be so sweet. To answer Bethany's question now, here we have Revelation chapter 22, why, three reasons why Jesus does not hang out on the beach and he is a mountain man. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, filled with little fishies for Jesus to catch whenever he wants. Oh, that's not there. Oh, that's, be careful with that though. There's a warning about that. Strike that, take it back. The pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were of the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Now, I'm sure that you have gathered by now that I'm not a beach guy, but I am most definitely a river guy. There is something special about streams and rivers. When I was a little kid, I grew up in the stinking desert, y'all. So I would go back and visit my family in Pennsylvania and it would like, I was like 10 and my cousins, my like second cousins would come over and, and because a lot of my family still live back there and they're like, hey, hey city boy, Las Vegas, you want to go over to the creek and catch, catch some crawdads? And I'm like, would I ever? And we would go over there and it's just this, just water crystal clear and go flipping rocks over and grabbing little critters with pinchers on their hands and it was one of the most fantastic memories I have of growing up so I spend all the time that I can taking my family to places with rivers and streams because it's biblical (laughs) not to the beach to the mountains with rivers and streams and there's something about The Lord setting us down besides quiet waters and restoring our souls and to hear that water, that bubbling brook, just to hear it and to know that one day my eyes are closed now and I'm listening to it, but one day I'll be sitting by the river of life at the throne of God and all his promises that were yes and amen are fulfilled in his presence and I will know him as I am known and I'm no longer looking through a glass dimly, but I'm looking at him face to face. How sweet is the river of life. They shall see his face. Oh, look at that. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. You might be sitting there thinking to yourself, if you haven't read Revelation chapter 21 or 22 in a while, you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, this sounds pretty unbelievable. I mean, I know that God has good stuff for us, but like this is over the top. So the reminder comes to us again, these things are said by him who is faithful and true. Faithful full to bring it to pass and true he's not telling no lies this is what it's going to be and the lord god of the holy prophet sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place behold i am coming quickly Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, that verse is um, 
it's a question of application for us. It's a question of application for you. How do you take that verse and do what Jesus just said he wants you to do with it? What's the first place you turn? I'll make it rhetorical so it's not confusing because we just went through a, a 20 chapters of Revelation. You go back to the first three chapters, church. You go back and you, you meditate on it and you study it and, and you identify which church you can identify most with and you correct what needs to be corrected and you live fully in service to him and submission to him in all areas of life. You run from lukewarmness. You address the lovelessness in the church. You kick out the Nicolaitans. Not really, but God's going to judge them anyway. But you take the things that the, that, that the Lord talks to you in those seven letters about and you apply it to your life. The majority of the middle part is good information for us to have, especially for those who are planning on going through the seven-year tribulation, which is on you. It's not on me. <laughs> you can take what the rest of the Bible talks about during that time, okay? And you should. But the most applicable parts of these verses for us are five chapters personal application, the first three and the last two. So look and identify. Jesus is coming quickly. You are blessed who keep the words of the prophecy of this book. How can you make those changes? How can you address those issues? Now I, verse 8, now I, John, Saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. You know, John's done this before, right? He's just over, I believe, I don't know, I didn't talk to him yet about it, but he's overcome with emotion. He's just flopping around like a fish in front of everybody. Charismatic John. Then he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Now there's, there's uh, different opinions about this verse, these couple verses, but really the reality is there should be such an, an, an immediacy in your life that, that if you are doing the right thing, there's nothing that's going to stop you from going in that direction. And for people who have given themselves over to corruption, if they've so given themselves over, it's not like there's a time where we read later where we're, where we're, where we're, we're trying and hoping and, and convincing people to repent. This, it's, it's, this is it. It's over. There's like a finality to it. And there's going to be a judgment that takes place. Verse 12, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. People want to stand up for and have their rights. You know, nowadays, people suing each other. You guys... Listen and listen to the news at all? <laughs> Don't do it. That's what I always say. You listen to the news or read it? Stop. It's nothing good in there. People are 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 uh, fabricating stories and lying and manipulating and it's just it's just nuts and it's everybody's right to do whatever they want to do. Do you know what what God has given you uh, a God-given right to do? To eat from the tree of life. <laughs> Isn't that cool? And there's, before there was flaming swords, you know, at the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Oops. Okay, well, since you did, you can't have or partake in the tree of, of life. 
and, and to the point where it's guarded, but now you guys are out of here because you keep making these bad decisions, and now it's come full circle again, and God's like, I give you the right. Not only am I telling you not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you've already gone past that. You've been restored, and here's the tree of life, and it's your right. Hey, where are you going? The tree of life. It's my right, man. I just think it's going to be so cool. The tree of life, it may enter through the gates into the city, but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Do you notice what is not, what else is not included as being outside of the city? If you look at that list, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Who's outside of the city? Dogs. Who's inside of the city? Cats. So if you're a dog person, I apologize. But the cats are in the city, the dogs are out. It's in the Bible. I love kittens. <laughs> They're so sweet. The lion of the tribe of Judah. You know what I'm saying? I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Do you see the two? how the two come together? What's going to be growing beside the river of life? The tree of life. So here we see the river comes from the throne of God. It's the river of life. And then we have the tree growing by the river and it's the tree of life. And God says, come, drink from the river as much as you want. Eat of the tree as much as you want. It's your right. Not because you earned it, but because I paid the price for you to be able to do it. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, that's why I took away the part about the fishes, so please don't hold that against me. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of the prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, from the things which are written in this book." I don't know about you, but I feel like there's a lot of people who should read those two verses and take them a lot more seriously. I'm not just going to... Some people, they don't just take away and add things. They write their whole own new volumes. Man, how scary is that? This is the revelation that God wants to give to His people. This is the promises of God being fulfilled to a people that he redeemed himself with his own blood. And you know what happens when you start adding to or taking away God's word? Start building that tower back up to Babylon again. Start to work things out yourself. Start to figure out how we can make it happen without God's help. Next thing you know, we've got a city that's in constant turmoil and bloodshed, fighting over multiple different religious systems no don't don't add to or take away just let god's be let god's word be his word and and that alone no word of man to add no eraser to take away and then lastly we see god shall take away his part from the book of life you got the river of life you've got the tree of life you've got the book of life what does this impress to you about God. God wants you to live. He wants you to live. He wants you to partake in life. And the fulfillment of God's promises in the end of the Bible, uh, they are the, the completion of that. The fullness of life from God the Father, your creator, creator of heaven and earth. He who testifies... These things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.
Amen. Surely I am coming quickly. Let's say that one. Ver- let's say that together. Amen. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. You guys, some of you got it. It's all right. And then I love the last verse of the Bible. All of the apostles were in agreement. The prophets were in agreement. What does he say? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. They all could agree on grace. And if there's something that you and I disagree on, one thing I'm sure we better be able to agree on is God's grace. Like we talked about this morning, unmerited favor by the grace of God, not by works, lest any man should boast, but by faith through grace. Amen? Father, we thank you for your your express word to your people that you... (laughs) that you love us so much that you've got these plans for us that we can't even wrap our heads around. It's like trying to explain to somebody on earth a place that they've never been before that that is beyond beautiful. We thank you for giving us a glimpse of that in these last two chapters. We don't want to disregard the middle section of this book. We thank you for it and thank you for the insight. But as your church and the people that are going to partake of your promises, allow us to meditate and have fertile hearts to receive the seed for the first three chapters and the last two. That there can be application today so we don't have to fuss over the middle chapters 4 through 20 when people are going to have to go through a serious wake-up call who are here on earth. God, we pray that you would save them. We pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit now and convict this world of sin and righteousness in the coming judgment and that they would come to you in droves before these times that are going to be so very difficult for the earth and tumultuous. Use your church. Send us out that we would preach the gospel of the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, and reconciliation to you through his blood, death, and resurrection. We love you. Thank you for this worship team, God, that's blessed us tonight. Bless them. Special blessing this week. In Jesus' name we pray.